Hello and welcome. We are the Immigrant Squad. My name is Aiste, my pronouns are she, her. I'm Lithuanian, I have a pre-settled status, and I am here today with my three lovely colleagues who will now introduce themselves. Hello everyone, my name is Chinsia, my pronouns are she, her. I'm South African-Italian, born and raised in South Africa, but I've been living in the UK for nearly eight years now on an Italian passport. I have settled status. My name is Cynthia. My pronouns are she, her. I'm originally from Latvia, but I've lived in the UK for nine years, so I hold a settled status. And hi, I'm Jessica. My pronouns are she, her. I'm from Finland, but I've been living in the UK since 2018 and have a pre-settled status. So today we'll be discussing the hostile environment, which is a very prevalent topic in the UK. Mm -hmm. So let's start with a definition. As outlined by Weber, hostile environment refers to economic, labor, security, and migration measures and policies which marginalize and target refugees as well as illegalized and poor migrants. Now, of course, the UK has a long history of anti-immigration policies and hostile treatment of migrants, which is obviously unsurprising given its colonial history. Mm -hmm. But the term hostile environment was first used by Theresa May, who was Home Secretary at the time in an interview with The Telegraph. In this interview, Theresa May stated, and I quote, the aim is to create here in Britain a really hostile environment for illegal migration. What we don't want is a situation where people think that they can come here and overstay because they're able to access everything they need. Well, as a post-Brexit migrant myself, I can say she definitely succeeded. Yeah. <laughs> but moving on. In essence, Theresa May's hostile environment approach uses everyday bordering, which means that borders are now not just spatial, material lines, which are enforced by a state actor like border control, but they're also social and are enforced by everyday service providers like schools or the NHS. Mm -hmm. Another important factor in hostile environment is the sharing of personal data between those everyday service providers and the home office in order to target migrants. Mm -hmm. This practice breaches the UK's Data Protection Act of 2018, as well as international human rights to privacy. But really, all of the policies that we will discuss in this podcast violate international human rights set out by the United Nations and the European Commission of Human Rights. In this podcast, we will discuss in depth the impacts of hostile environment policies on housing, policing and employment. But before we get into that, let's rewind a bit and have a look at how Britain has always been hostile to migrants. It's 1948. Britain is recovering from the Second World War. So what does it need? It needs rebuilding. Who wants to do that? Not British people. So what do they do? The UK government passed the British Nationality Act, which allows citizens of the UK colonies to come to the so-called motherland for work. So they invite Commonwealth citizens to come to Britain. They even go so far as to recruit industry workers in the West Indies and the ship Empire Windrush docks on Britain's shores. So Britain is getting rebuilt. And then suddenly, 
the British are not happy with the amount of people who took them up on their offer to come here and work, even though they are the people who are doing the job no one wants to do and are truly rebuilding Britain. Mm -hmm. So then they start changing immigration laws and restricting access to Britain for Commonwealth citizens. So these restrictions start with the Commonwealth Immigrants Act of 1962, which means that now only people with work permits can enter Britain. And these are only really given to high-skilled workers, such as doctors. And then with each subsequent Immigration Act, more and more restrictions are added. Mm. Fast forward to what's happening today. Let's go over to Cynthia. Can you tell us about the effects of the hostile environment policies on migrants' ability to access housing? Absolutely. Hostile environment was expressed in the housing sector through the creation of the right to rent checks. This requires landlords to check the migration status of tenants to prevent those who are classed as not residing in the UK legally from having access to housing. Mm. If landlords fail to do so, they can face imprisonment, or be heavily fined. Right. But there is still some hope, as the right to rent checks are only enforced in England. All mm. the other UK countries refuse it on the grounds of violation of human rights. Mm. Very interesting. Chinzia, what about policing? How did policing change in the UK following hostile environment policies? Yeah, so in the past, the police had little involvement in the immigration and deportation process. And the process of enforcing these policies and laws. However, this change with the integration of hostile environment policies and specifically the rollout of Operation Nexus. Mm. So Operation Nexus is a joint operation between the Home Office and the police. And aspects of this operation do vary region by region, but generally include police checking people's immigration status, Mm the embedding of immigration officials within police stations Mm. and police intelligence being used to build deportation cases. Mm. These policies and the rollout of Operation Nexus has meant that the police and by extension the government Mm -hmm. are exerting more control over not just migrants but their own citizens too and are allowing for discriminatory practices to take place. Mm. Wow. And what about employment? Jessica, how have things changed? Well, things weren't great for migrants in the UK even before the hostile environment policies. It's been a criminal offence for employers to hire anyone without the right to work, which was generally most migrants, and they've been required to carry out right-to-work checks for anyone they intended to employ since the Asylum and Immigration Act of 1996. Then, 10 years later, the Immigration, Asylum and Nationality Act of 2006 introduced civil penalties for employers who hired people without the right to work. But since then, the government has decided to make it even worse. Of course. You know, um, my sister actually told me about this. Um, So she's the hiring manager at her company Mm. and she bears all the responsibilities if something goes wrong. So the company itself doesn't take responsibility. She would be the one who gets fined. That's shocking. (laughs) Right. 
Um, so yeah, following the introduction of the hostile environment policies in 2012, the restrictions were extended further by the Immigration Acts of 2014 and 2016, which allowed immigration officials to seize the earnings of anyone who worked illegally. Mm. They also doubled the maximum penalties to £20,000 per employee wow. and lengthened the maximum prison sentence to five years for employers who hired anyone without the right to work in the UK. Wow. Yeah. Right. So how have these policies impacted the lives of migrants? Are there specific groups that are more vulnerable to these policies? Jessica. Well, because illegalized migrants are not allowed to work and have little to no social security, they're basically forced to accept jobs in informal and unregulated sectors. And these kinds of jobs are often the most precarious and also protect exploitative employers, which then makes illegalized migrants vulnerable to all kinds of abuse. Yeah, they really have no protection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Illegalized migrants are also discouraged from reporting these exploitative employers because they're scared of legal repercussions and deportation, Mm -hmm. which means that they end up being trapped in unsafe jobs and are powerless against their employers. Mm -hmm. Also, the Institute for Public Policy Research found that women are especially vulnerable to exploitation because they might be forced to enter relationships or do unpaid domestic work just to have a roof over their heads. Terrible. Mm. Yeah, like um, going off your point there, Jessica, I wanted to add a bit more about housing. Mm. So it's important to remember that refugees and asylum seekers leave their home countries for a reason. Yeah. They risk their lives to get here. Yeah. It's not only inhumane to greet them with hostility, it's also actually not effective. Yeah. All it does is it pushes people into insecure and unsafe situations. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, Gravi actually combined research from Shelter to highlight how illegalized migrants are basically a lucrative business opportunity for some landlords. Mm. Illegalized migrants are more likely to fear speaking out in case it leads to deportation. So they're easier to exploit. Right. Plus, as there's already such a limited amount of housing available, speaking out could lead to homelessness yeah and yeah and private housing is not heavily regulated for example the law requires landlords to carry out repairs but there's no routine checks that are carried out by local councils if a tenant's too scared to ask for repairs no one is there to enforce this law horrible yeah yeah and like also i think it's important to speak on how housing can become a dangerous place for illegalized women yeah like firstly there is the research conducted by reese that shows that women who are refugees or asylum seekers frequently experience sexual harassment in the home they're just not safe yeah these women are scared to speak out as they're uncertain of their rights and they don't know if they will be believed Mm. and step up migrant women um, for example, found that 62% of women reported that their migration status was being used as a threat to prevent them from reporting abuse. Mm. And this is like extra important when considering women who have arrived on a spousal visa. Mm. Like, mm. yeah, like think about it. The conditions of their visa require them to remain in a relationship. Yeah. Like they can reach out to support organizations, but even then, they do not become immune to hostile environment policies. They have to apply for a new status, that takes time. And while they're waiting for this decision, in the eyes of the law, they become illegal. Mm. Which essentially means that they can end up being deported just because they left an abusive situation. Mm. Yeah, that's really shocking. And this fear of speaking up is not only an issue in housing, but policing as well. Mm. 
hostile policies and policing are intended to target illegalized immigrants. Mm. However, it has had a number of very negative effects on British citizens, especially ethnic minorities, as well as legal immigrants. Mm -hmm. So firstly, policing community relations, especially in areas with a high demographic of ethnic minorities, have always been less than positive, to say the least. Mm -hmm. But hostile environment policies have now meant there's even less trust and even less partnership between them, which even the police warned would happen. This is because, according to Griffiths and Yo, police officers have become deputised into migration officers. Mm. The many aspects of Operation Nexus, you know, the checking of migration status and the embedding of migration officers into police stations, have meant that migrants, whether illegalised or not, feel they can no longer trust the police they feel they can no longer go to them for help if they have been a victim of a crime or have even witnessed a crime take mm. place. And by deputising police officers and shifting the responsibility onto them, as well as landlords and workplaces, it shifts blame and responsibility away from the government. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Other frontline workers, like hospital staff, are also expected to implement immigration checks and charges and to share information on individuals' immigration status with the Home Office. Since 2017, patients who aren't entitled to free NHS care, which includes undocumented migrants and rejected asylum seekers, have to pay for their treatment up front unless it's urgent or or falls within one of the few exempt categories. While technically overseas visitors managers are responsible for determining whether a patient should be charged, clinicians are the ones who have to decide if something is urgent. You know, with how long I've had to wait in the A&E before, I don't think many things will be considered urgent. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All it really does is make migrants avoid seeking health care because they're scared that they can afford it or that their information will be shared with the home office, which again can lead to many issues. Mm. This can then also lead to a lack of trust between migrants and public service workers because they have to enforce these hostile environment policies. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, like in the housing sector, the issues come from the fact that refugees and asylum seekers don't have security in their Mm. assigned housing. So even if they do build the relationships with public service workers, they're not protected. So let's say they're provided a house in London. They build connections and relationships. And then they're just told that they will be moved to a different city. Mm -hmm. They don't have a say in that. And if they try to oppose this, the police get involved. Mm -hmm. It just reminds illegalized migrants of the hostility and that they don't actually hold any rights in the UK. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when considering the fact that any interaction with the police can be used in a deportation case. It's so scary to so many people. So Mm -hmm. they just try and avoid any Mm -hmm. interactions with the police at all. And, you know, this not only impacts the individual because they might not receive justice if a crime has been committed against them, but police might not be able to further a criminal case because they lack these vital witnesses. Exactly. And I just wanted to go back and focus on what I think is the most impactful aspect of these hostile policies and Operation Nexus, which is the fact that the that deportation cases are being built on a person's police profile This means that deportation can be justified through a medley of police encounters and arrests, even if it was just a cautionable offence, an arrest made in error, or even an arrest that did not lead to any charges at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this actually has had a detrimental impact 
on the Windrush generation. Mm. Um, so firstly, it needs to be established that people from the Windrush generation entered Britain as British subjects, mm. meaning that by law they were entitled to either citizenship or a deemed leave status. Mm. But because the UK government has changed immigration law so many times since the British Nationality Act of 1948, many people of the Windrush generation have become illegalized and subject to detention and deportation. It's terrible. Yeah. yeah. So Wardle and Obermuller actually give the example of Miss Lord, who arrived in Britain from Jamaica as a child and never even questioned that she could be missing documents that prove that she has a legal right to reside in the UK. So, yeah. So when, as she herself puts it, she had a run in with the law, she discovered that her documents were not in order, Mm. which is just so scary. And although she was not charged, she was contacted by the Home Office. And when evidence of her continuous residence was not good enough for them, she was detained and was given the option to either get on a plane to Jamaica or be put in a detention center. It's horrible. So, so terrible. Yeah. And so Miss Lord was illegalized and deported to Jamaica despite living most of her life in Britain and coming here legally. Mm-hmm. And really, it seems that stories like Miss Lord's are just the results of deliberate measures taken by the Home Office, mm-hmm. considering the fact, which Gedelov points out, that in 2010, the Home Office destroyed the original landing cards that it held that would have proved the legal status of people of the Windrush generation. So this really just shows how deliberate the UK government is in making the lives of people they don't want here, but who have the full right to be here difficult. Welcome back. Now we would like to focus on exploitation and abuse. Cynthia, why don't you start us off? Thank you. Yes. An unfortunate case I came across was how people find ways to use government services to exploit migrants. Mm. Recently, in the UK, there was an initiative created by the government that invites people to register and open up their homes to refugees from Ukraine. Mm. Good idea, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, A poorly regulated one. The organization Positive Action in Housing reported having received reports from Ukrainian women who have stated that they received offers from men through the official government sites to have access to free housing in exchange for sex. Shocking. Absolutely horrible. Exactly. Men basically just co-opted a support service created for refugees in an attempt to attain sexual services from women. Wow. That is terrible, but sadly also not surprising. But yeah, what about migrant women's experiences in the workforce, Jessica? Yeah, well, it's perhaps not surprising, as you said, that migrant women are also at a higher risk of exploitation in employment. Let's look at migrant domestic workers as an example. According to a 2022 study by Gamash and Rao, 95% of all domestic workers globally are women and one in five are migrants. So domestic work is a predominantly female industry. As part of the hostile environment policies, the overseas domestic worker visa concession was revoked in 2012, which removed the right of migrant domestic workers to switch employers even in cases where they go through abuse. Oh, gosh. Mm. Yeah. And then those who do decide to run away from their horrible employers feel helpless because they don't have the right to work and can't therefore find another job. 
Yeah, you know, another place where abuse is increasingly common is in detention centres. Mm. You know, to me, detention centres are the peak of what hostile environment policies and policing represent. Yeah. So just a quick bit of history. In mm. 1999, the Immigration and Asylum Act formalised detention centres, and this really marked a shift in Britain's attitudes and treatment towards refugees, asylum seekers and migrants in general. Mm. Britain actually be, actually has some of the most draconian detention measures in Europe. And for example, there is no time limits on how long an adult person can be detained. So theoretically, a person could be detained indefinitely. Oh. And that's what's most shocking. And what's most shocking is that these detention centres are not always safe spaces. Mm-hmm. A whistleblower from one of these centres back in um, 2019, Brooke House, exposed continual abuse by detention officers to- towards detainees. Horrible. Not only that, but Klein and Williams argue that the detention process leaves many migrants destitute, alienated, and with a feeling that they are still detained even when they are released. Oh, gosh. Is it bad to admit that I'm not surprised? Yeah. Like, yeah. I do want to hear more, though. Yeah, it's not surprising, to be honest. In many instances, the detention process takes migrants away from their established communities, detains them indefinitely so they can't work, Mm. and releases them with little support and aftercare. You know, and also there might not be a resolution to their cases, Mm. which means they still cannot access services such as benefits, housing supports, the right to work, you know, among Mm. many other things. And also many aspects of the detention process are contracted out to private firms, Mm-hmm. So this once again shifts responsibility away from the government, especially when cases of mistreatment and abuse are exposed. The government can deny responsibility and argue that they weren't aware, even though they were the ones to hire these private firms and put these detention practices into law. Right, yeah. Yeah. And like also I think it's worth noting that in many instances, illegalized migrants are also restricted through language barriers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like harder to advocate for themselves, yeah. to yeah. even tell anyone of these type of injustices that they've experienced. Yeah. And that's assuming that they're even able to access support services Mm -hmm. like i know from my experience that when i was trying to reach out to the local council with issues with the house i was renting by the time they got back to me i'd moved out Mm -hmm. it's not an easy process yeah and i can imagine that after being treated this horribly it's not hard to assume that they would think that there's no laws to protect them yeah but even if you speak english there's still a legal language barrier Mm -hmm. you know government forms like local council forms they're so complicated that language is not just your regular day-to-day english yeah yeah exactly and like you said even if you are fluent in english migrants might still not know where to seek support locally Yeah. yeah this is actually often the case with migrant domestic workers who have come to the uk from abroad with their employer mm-hmm. for example some of the women the filipino domestic workers association supports um, have shared that they didn't even know where they were going before they landed in England. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. yeah. That's awful. Mm. And I think it's been quite clear that the hostile environment policies are truly based on xenophobic and racist prejudice. Yeah. So, Chinzia, how has policing under hostile environment impacted ethnic minority communities? Yeah, so as I mentioned previously, hostile policing has had a number of negative impacts on both British citizens and migrants, Mm -hmm. especially people of colour, 
Eastern Europeans and other ethnic minorities such as Irish travellers and Roma people, because of the mistrust between police and these communities and the increased obligations to check migration status, many ethnic minorities are treated with suspicion by police. Mm -hmm. This has led to increased traffic stops and increased stop and searches, which Mm -hmm. is an extremely alienating process, Mm -hmm. you know, to be treated with suspicion, especially if you're a British citizen or someone who has been living illegally in the UK for many years, it's extremely alienating and othering. And here we can see then that these hostile policies and policing actively encourage discrimination in the name of keeping our borders safe. And as Bowling and Westoner argue, is an ongoing expression of the colonial system of racial ordering. Yeah, yeah it's actually like you can never really become British. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The hostile environment policies have actually targeted ethnic minority communities in terms of employment as well. According to the IPPR, around half of all fines for illegal working went to South Asian and Chinese restaurants in 2019. Yeah. Yeah, immigration officials also receive allegations of illegal workers, mostly from the public, basically just because they believe that people who work in these restaurants are, and I quote, removable. Shocking. Yeah, so the hostile environment policies are very discriminatory towards ethnic minorities, and the ideology has unfortunately been very effective in making the public very xenophobic. Yeah, and what about in housing, Cynthia? Overcrowding. It affects ethnic minority groups disproportionately. During the COVID-19 pandemic, this gained more public attention as with how COVID would spread, it was easier to spread it in overcrowded houses as it's far harder to isolate. And overcrowding also increases the risk of having mental health issues. And unsurprisingly, this is also a prevalent problem for illegalized migrants as they're statistically more likely to end up having to live in overcrowded housing. Mm. And yeah, thus they're more likely to face the negative impacts. Interestingly, however, there has been a rise in public opinion on migrants staying in hotels, being seen as them having access to a life of luxury. Well, yeah, actually, I I saw a TikTok recently um, of a group of men who broke into a hotel that was housing refugees. It was at like 3 a.m. and they were just causing disruptions. They were being so rude to like these refugees who are escaping war. They're escaping Mm, famine, you know. That's horrible. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and like, you know, like with the protests in Liverpool like there's this idea that you know um refugees somehow have it better but these hotels are exactly where overcrowding so often occurs Mm -hmm. yeah because families are often required to share one room no matter how many people in the family Mm. hello again thank you for listening so far to close off this episode let's reflect We mentioned earlier that we're all immigrants and we have first-hand experience of hostile environment in the UK. For me, when I was in the process of moving, it was so clear that this country did not want me here. It was so othering and alienating, especially when I heard the xenophobic attitudes politicians hold and experience first-hand such attitudes from the general public. And because I'm only pre-settled, there is always that precarity of my legal status. You know, the government could introduce more laws, which could mean that I can no longer stay here or, you know, they could deport me. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so for me personally, I feel that my status as an EU immigrant uh, with settled status is quite precarious post-Brexit. I'm now a lot more aware of the things I can and can't do because they could jeopardise my legal status here. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, these new protest laws uh, mean that EU citizens arrested at protests could be deported. So now I can't even express my basic human right of protest because I'm scared of getting deported. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. like I for a while thought that, you know, the EU passport and the settled status will be some sort of safety for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed it the most actually in the housing sector because mm-hmm. um, it was really difficult when we were looking for a place to rent. Yeah. Um, we called up housing agencies and there were instances where they instantly denied us even having a viewing because the landlord would only accept UK nationals. And statistically, that's 44% of landlords who have said that they do that now. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, um, one of the other requirements includes having a guarantor who is a UK homeowner. I've actually had a similar situation with housing and not having a UK homeowner as a guarantor. Um, But for me, it's actually balancing my studies and work that I struggle with the most. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not eligible for a maintenance loan or disabled students allowance because I only have a pre-settled status. And this then obviously is quite challenging as a full-time student, Mm -hmm. especially in my final year. Um, As I quite often have to then kind of prioritize work over studying because I have have to get enough money somehow since the government doesn't want to help. This has been the Immigrant Squad on hostile environment policies within housing, employment, policing and the Windrush generation. We hope that you found this informative and engaging. I want to thank my colleagues Cynthia, Jessica and Chinzia for their wonderful contributions. Thank you for listening. Bye! Bye.